Hey everyone, welcome to a very special episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. You might be wondering, hey, why is there another episode this week? Well, my, one of my best friends, Jonathan Parks Ramage, has a brand new book out called Yes, Daddy, and it's a killer book. It's an amazing read. It's fascinating. It's uh, kind of racy and thrillery, and um, I wanted to invite him on Lunch Therapy so he could so that you could all meet him and he could talk a little bit about the book and then also, of course, about his lunch, which is way more important. Uh, but Jonathan is an amazing writer. He's super talented. He's sold movies. He's sold TV shows. And now he has a novel out. Um, and in today's episode, you know, it's a little bit more familiar than my normal lunch therapy sessions because we know each other so well. So uh, to start, we tell the story, the famous story of the time he first came over for dinner and he had told me he was a vegetarian, but I completely forgot and I served him a pork chop. And that bead of sweat you saw drip down my forehead was me calculating whether or not to say something. And I was like, you know what? I can just have a few bites. We also talk about his childhood in Massachusetts and the kind of food that he ate. The thing I didn't love as a child, but I think was made somewhat frequently was cream of tuna. And we talk about how I recently told him how to make a Caesar salad and he chickened out at the last minute. And we have a goodwill hunting moment about it. it I mean, it was because I panicked because I was making for other people. And what so, were you afraid of, Jonathan? What were you afraid of? I was afraid, afraid of? of letting other people down. <laughs> <laughs> so, without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with Jonathan Parks Ramage. All right, Jonathan, welcome to Lunch Therapy. How you doing? I am good. I'm so thrilled to be on at last. You are, you know, it's funny because my very first guest was someone you may know named Ryan O'Connell. <laughs> he does happen to be my boyfriend. Yes, you guys are in a relationship and you live together. Um but it's funny because I haven't had you on yet. And now that I've done this so much, it's going to be interesting because I know so much about you, seeing you as are, you are one of my closest friends. And I'm going to have to like ask you questions and maybe like discover new things about you. Oh my God. Yeah. Or just bring all my skeletons out of the closet. Oh, I have a list. You're about to be red <laughs> for filth. Um, well, before we get to your lunch therapy session, we should tell the world the reason that we're doing this very special episode in the middle of the week is that you have a book out. I do. I should hear. Oh my God. For people who are watching on YouTube, Jonathan oh is holding up the book and I will hold up the copy that I got an early copy, but I also have a hardcover on its way. You and do. It's called Good. Yes, Daddy. And I've read it and it's fantastic. Thank you. Yes, I am very excited. It is out in the world wherever books are sold. And it is about a young aspiring playwright who is broke and he gets involved with a much older, wealthy, famous playwright. And he thinks that this older daddy type is going to be the answer to all of his prayers. Um, but they wind up going out to the older writer's compound in the Hamptons for the summer where things take a very dark turn. Very, so, very dark turn, I should say. <laughs> yes, warning. It's 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 a dark it's a dark ride, but um, but yeah, I'm 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 happy that it is going to be out in the world. Well, it's so funny because I've been around a while in my life, and like I've had a lot of friends who are like, "I'm going to write a novel," and I'm like, "Uh huh, good luck." And when you said it, I was like, "Oh yeah, he's going to write a novel, sure." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, but, what faith you had! Yeah, but then he really, you did really did write a novel, and you really got it published. So I'm wondering, like, where did that 
instinct come from? Like, did you always know that you wanted to write a novel or did it just occur to you one day to write a novel? Um, I've wanted to write a novel for a while. Like in my early twenties, I wrote a lot of short stories um, and then kind of fell off and, and focused more on screenwriting, but I'd always kind of wanted to return um, to um, novel writing and, and fiction. Um, and so finally I just got the balls and I think also the experience, like the life experience, the book is not autobiographical, but it is personal. And I think that, you know, I finally had something to write about. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that was also important to have something that I really wanted to explore in a novel form and yeah, but it does take a lot of courage because you know, when you first start that novel, it's like, wow, am I really going to stick with this project mm -hmm. for 300 pages and pray that someone buys it and it comes out in the world? Did you have and moments moments of doubt? Like when you were like writing it, did you lose oh, your confidence? Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm like a finisher. So if I start something, I must finish. Mm -hmm. um, but there were definitely points in time um, where it really... I was like, am I really gonna do this? And then um, I decided that the answer was yes. <laughs> well, I think that's great. I mean, it's funny because your boyfriend, Ryan, is very inspirational to me. And I wonder if he's inspirational to you because he's constantly putting himself out there, like just like putting things out there, like essays and live journals and TV shows. And, you know, and, and, I, and I think his attitude about just sort of just putting it all out there is kind of infectious. So I feel like, I don't know if that rubbed off on you at all, but it definitely- Oh yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of my boyfriend's work. Thank God I don't think we'd be in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and vice versa, um, yeah. but it is, I mean, it's, I, I actually, I mean, it, I love being in a relationship with another writer. We constantly share drafts with each other. We are constantly kind of there to encourage each other and, and um, you know, provide, notes and insights and and stuff like that so so yeah it's it's great and well Ryan's just a gorgeous beautiful lovely human well this isn't about ryan this is about you this is <laughs> going to be your lunch therapy session but before we get to your lunch which i'm looking forward to analyzing um yes i wanted to bring up a part of the book that will be relevant to our lunch therapy listeners who are food fans which is that mm. your, your character works in a restaurant in hell's kitchen um Yes, that and, is true. And I know as your friend, and this is where I'm bringing in some of my own personal experience into the session, that you yourself had worked at a restaurant in Hell's Kitchen. Um, but without getting into specifics, I wonder if you could talk about your experience just in general as a server at a restaurant and what that was like. Ooh, well, for me, it was not fun. Although I must say, I do believe that every single person should be a waiter at some point in their life, because I think it just teaches you to be nice yeah. <laughs> to other human beings. Um, you know, but working in the restaurant, not gonna lie, was hell. Um, the restaurant shall re remain nameless. Mm -hmm. um, but it was kind of, it was, a, it was a gay restaurant that was kind of like an upscale gay hooters where <laughs> rich gay men would pay, you know, $30 for a steak and to sexually harass the waiters. Um, so it was, it was definitely, it was a dark environment to work in. I, I had like my, my good friends were also waiters there and we were, um, 
we were very much kind of like war buddies, I guess you could say. Um, and so that was really nice to have that support. Um, I think, you know, what you're seeing in the restaurant industry, as with every industry, is kind of a real reckoning with workplace, workplace culture when it comes to sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and just abuse in general, even if it's not sexual in nature. I know there's a lot of toxic environments in um, kitchens and in restaurants, and it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And as someone who was there in that type of restaurant, um, you know, it really weighs on your psyche when you're trapped in this kind of toxic environment where you're just kind of on display and constantly groped. And I mean, the owner was super sexually harassed as well. Like it was, it was not great. So thank God I'm out of that. Yeah. But well, you got to turn that into a, a whole part of your book. I mean, that all the things you're talking about are right there in your book, including the owner who's sexual harass who sexually harasses your main character. So you yeah. turned it into art, which is great. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that, I mean, that was part of, you know, the main character is kind of broke and young. And I mean, as I was an inspiring artist, as I was when I first moved to New York and, you know, I think that also kind of leaves you a little bit vulnerable in terms of like what you think is normal like mm -hmm. you know I didn't have any reference point I like got off the bus with my suitcase full of dreams <laughs> and you know walked up to the front doorstep of this restaurant and and I didn't I just thought well this is what it is to be gay and to work in a gay restaurant in New York City and that's just what it is. And I didn't even think to question it. It was just like, oh, this is what you have to do. And it was well, like, it's funny because oh. like I lived in Atlanta when I first came out and there, there was like a part of Atlanta called Midtown. And that's where like the gay coffee shop was and the gay bookstore. And then there was like a gay restaurant at the time called, I think the Big Red Tomato. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think, I just remember like going there and um, like be kind of being fascinated at the, at the idea of a gay restaurant that like, wow, like this restaurant exists just so gay people can all eat together, which feels like, an, <laughs> it feels like an older generational thing. Like it feels like that that was necessary in a previous generation mm. to like have a safe space where like gay people could go with their partners and families and not feel judged. But now it feels like in 2021, those places are less relevant perhaps, or maybe they're perhaps. still necessary. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I think perhaps, I think that as gay people maybe become more, you know, worked into the kind of general fabric of society, they're less necessary though. I mean, I always am a fan of queer spaces existing. Like mm -hmm. I think that it's fun. If there was a new gay restaurant in Los Angeles, you bet my ass would be the first person <laughs> there. Um, really? Would you? But, there's, there's gay restaurants well, in West Hollywood. You don't go to well, West Hollywood for dinner. That's true. A gay restaurant with good food, honey. Oh, I mean, wow. <laughs> well, I'm mean, not yeah. there to do just for the gayness. But I mean, I think that's, I mean, I think that there can be great, like positive environments as well. Yeah. It doesn't, a, a gay restaurant doesn't have to be a negative environment. But like, for me, like there was almost like a ghettoization for a lack mm, of a better yes. word of like gay people in this like, one area of town. I mean, that's what like what Hell's Kitchen, West Hollywood, like this Chelsea. idea. Of Chelsea. There are also ones in Chelsea as well. Yeah, but now I just feel like if a hot new restaurant is opening, chances are it's super queer friendly. There's probably a big chance that the owner might be queer themselves, and I just feel like things yes. are shifting a little bit. No, I agree. I think that I think that you're totally right. I think that as the food scene gets diversified in general that the types it's less it's less yeah kind of 
binary in terms yeah. of restaurant identities and like you're saying yes a queer person could just own it but it doesn't necessarily have to be only queer but also it's interesting that you talked about this like sense of permissiveness that was there in the restaurant because i remember when i went to my first gay bar that like you know like i think i'm sure at some point like someone i wasn't attracted to like pinched my butt or like grazed me and like i think i just sort of took it with a grain of salt like oh i guess this is just what gay culture is but i feel like being a waiter in that dynamic is way worse because you, you're in a position of not having a lot of power and and in your book in particular like the boss almost like is almost like a pimp like pushing out the waiters onto tables yeah uh, so that's a whole other aspect of it too yeah I mean I mean when it's your workplace I mean that's what we're really talking about and I think that restaurants can feel like oh fun and flirty and like a scene and you know what I mean? But but at the end of the day, it's work and it's mm -hmm. your workplace and it's sexual harassment in your workplace. And there are power dynamics um, that are present in a workplace, which, yes, come into play if your boss is sexually harassing you. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, consent, regardless of the space that you're in, is always kind of important to navigate so well i think your book is is about power dynamics i mean to bring it back to the book like i feel like what's so interesting about the book is that it's about your character has a certain amount of power over the playwright that um when i say your character i mean the one you wrote not to say that yes. it's you specifically <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes. but like but, but there's all these light layers to it and, and and you kind of peel back the onion on like how that power really works but unfortunately the book promo part of this podcast has now ended and how <laughs> you'll just have to buy the book to find out what happens yeah, <laughs> everybody buy yes daddy by jonathan parks ramage it's a great book i really liked it but now we must ask you, as I tend to do on all my episodes, Jonathan, what did you have for lunch today? Well, I had, and I think you probably know this because we've talked about my lunch routine and just our daily life, but I have kind of a breakfast slash lunch, I guess you could call it a brunch every mm -hmm. day. It is part of my routine. It is cheesy eggs on toast with avocado. And I eat it in the morning and it kind of just carries me through the whole day until dinner because it's so much food. And I don't know, it's just kind of this weird thing that tradition that started during the pandemic. Um, and it might, uh, it's gotten, it's interesting. It's gotten increasingly complex. I think mm -hmm. and the flavors have gotten increasingly deep the more that I've experimented. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, that is my lunch journey and I am a routine bitch honey I once I get into routine doing it every single day so that's what I do every single day well before we get into this and I before I begin to analyze it I must say <laughs> my objectivity is a little bit threatened here because it just so happens that my husband um Craig who you know very well was yes. once served these cheesy scrambled eggs that you made for him and he has since um, held them up as the standard by which all scrambled eggs should be judged. In fact, when I made him scrambled eggs not too long ago, he said, these aren't as good as Jonathan's. So Causing perhaps, rips. Causing yeah. marital reps with yeah. cheesy eggs. And so this is hard for me to talk about on my own terms, but I'm going to- <laughs> So sorry you're triggered, honey. Yeah, and, and so when I was at, um, so we went to Palm Springs together. We were in a pod together. We should probably say that because yes. during the quarantine, quarantine pod. yeah, we were really like, we were friends before, but like in quarantine, like we were like, basically it was like an apocalypse and we were like four people on an island together. Yes, precisely. Um, 
so we went to Palm Springs and you made these eggs and I sort of observed you secretly while you were making them. And I was watching mm -hmm. behind, you know, over my computer screen. And, and for people who weren't there, um, you take how many eggs to serve four people? You did eight eggs? I did, yeah, two per person. Eight eggs. And then you added cheese. At the time, you didn't have any grated cheese. So we, um, oh no, we had like sliced cheese. So we Right. Pushed it all it together and then grated that. But then you add that early on to the eggs mm -hmm. and salt and pepper. And then mm -hmm. you take a skillet. But the moment I'm trying to lead us to is that you add it to the skillet on the lowest heat with a little butter. Was it butter in there? Mm -hmm. And then you and I also, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, but then you stand there. Yes. The patience of a saint and take a fork <laughs> and you slowly, methodically stir the eggs for yes. what felt like hours until, oh until they congealed into a custardy, luscious, mm. and light yes. scrambled egg mixture. Is that what you do every morning? That is what I do every morning. I, I well, because I, I slow cook them because I like, they come out so creamy. And that's what I love. Like they're almost spreadable. And then you put the avocado over, but I've actually amped up my recipes since talking to you because my favorite dish, which you first exposed me to is Martha Stewart's perfect mac and cheese. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to recreate some flavor profiles from that. And she uses cayenne pepper, nutmeg, salt, and pepper mm -hmm. in her mac and cheese. So I started adding cayenne, nutmeg, salt, pepper, and also adding the cheeses that she uses, which are, uh, sharp cheddar, Gruyere, and Parmesan. Oh my God. So I Jonathan. put that all together. Yes, honey. It's, she's getting very fancy. Then I sprinkle a little paprika on top of the eggs, buttered toast, avocado, and a little tiny bit of sea salt. Do you freshly grate your nutmeg or do you buy pre-grated nutmeg? Oh, bitch, I write pre-grated. <laughs> Here's <laughs> the thing. No, I'm not reading you to filth because- grate your nutmeg. <laughs> no, because the Barefoot Contessa, the Barefoot Contessa who I worship, yeah. It's all about fresh ingredients, but she doesn't freshly grate her nutmeg. However, oh. I will say to you that of all yeah. the spices and all the ingredients that I work with, I think the one ingredient that makes a huge difference to grate freshly is nutmeg. And I want you as your homework assignment, as your therapist, to buy some <laughs> nutmeg, like whole nutmeg. Do you have a grater? You have a cheese grater. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so next time you make this, grate the nutmeg freshly over the eggs. And, and you're going to smell the most intoxicating smell you've ever smelled. Mm, okay. It. Now we're going to analyze these. Okay. The first thing that comes up immediately, you brought it up yourself, is routine. Being yes. a routine. So let's talk about that. So why is it so important for you to stay in a, within a routine? Um, I think because it gives me a sense of comfort to know exactly what's going to happen every morning. I also, I, I like, I, you know, in a world that is full of chaos, I like having control. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's something very satisfying about getting up, making the same thing every day, knowing what I'm making, having a delicious thing, and then cleaning. I also love that, like, before I start anything, like, I must clean the kitchen spotlessly. And I think it just gives me like a little like routine, a little moment of control, a little bit. I think it's also like a little bit relaxing, honestly, now that I've like started getting into it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like the routine thing is probably about control. And also like, I don't have to think about, I can like just, it, I don't even have to think about it as well. Like it just kind of like, it's, it's I can go kind of on autopilot mm -hmm. and then like ease into my work day and my writing when I really start using my brain.
So with control and food, I mean, that those two things often go together because I feel like people who struggle with food often struggle with control issues too. And I'm, yes. I'm wondering, like, how does that manifest itself beyond your kitchen? Like, if you were to go to someone's house for dinner um, and not knowing what they're going to make and stuff, like, does that freak you out or are you okay with that? No, I'm a very fun dinner guest, as I hope you can attest. I am a vegetarian, uh, but that's my only requirement so if I'm going over to someone's house for like dinner for example I I'm like let's do this like you do whatever you want like we're gonna have a great time uh, however I also since the pandemic has started we've Ryan and I have started doing this like vegan meal delivery service called Thistle which honestly we should be getting paid at this point because of the <laughs> amount we talk about this all yeah, but sure. like it's very healthy meals they're like low in calories so it's like kind of helped me I, so that's very much also a routine and we like have cheat nights where we don't do that so sometimes I will like if I'm going out to dinner sometimes we will kind of schedule so it aligns with a cheat night so we're not also so we're spacing our cheat nights out and we're still kind of maintaining a healthy diet because you know before the pandemic and then during the beginning of the pandemic it was just like Marie Antoinette honey I was just <laughs> like I mean, we were just going out every single night and it's like yeah. so expensive and so unhealthy. And yeah, so you guys, I, I think Craig and I would have been able to afford a house if we hadn't been going out to dinner with you guys as often as we Oh, oh and so this is all on us <laughs> Yes, it's Because on somebody you. tells me that you also enjoyed going out to the hip no. new spots on a regular yeah, you would, But you guys, would, like, you guys were like <laughs> the Pied Piper because I mean, Ryan like is so speaks my language. Like when, if he hears about a hot new restaurant, he's like, have you been to Gigi's? Have you been to, what was the one we went to downtown that was May Lynn's restaurant? Um, oh, was, Nightshade? Yeah, no. Nightshade. Yeah, it was Nightshade. And so like all those places, I'm like, yeah, I just read about that. Let's go. And it's like the bill comes and it's like insanely expensive. $7,000. Yeah, you yes. get it from like the cocktails. and the... Anyway, but I wanted to tell the story because I think it's important to tell this story in this podcast because we can't let this go by in this moment where we're together, where you talked about going to people's houses for dinner and coming here. And there's a famous story in our friendship, yes. you know, which is that when I first had you over with Ryan for dinner, I bought four pork chops. Gorgeous pork chops. Yeah, from McCall's Meat and Fish. Stunning. And, and I chops. was so excited and I, I put spices all over them and I seared them and I served them to everyone. And I sat down, and I was like, bon appetit everyone. And I could see a drip of sweat like trickling <laughs> down Jonathan's forehead. <laughs> And I was like, why does he look so freaked out? And I was like, oh my God, he told me he was a vegetarian. And That's I completely true. forgot. So I quickly like pointed it out. You were like, thank God he remembered. And then I did a Top Chef challenge and I took a can of beans and like cooked them with garlic and parsley. And yes, honey, your quick beans. fire. Yeah. It was, they were the most delicious quick fire challenge beans I've ever had in my entire life. And that's when I was true. I was even more impressed than I was by your gorgeous pork chops because wow. of your on the spot ingenuity which well yeah but to bring this back to your curious. therapy because this is not about me being ingenious mm. this is about you being a like like i guess i'm wondering like are you a people pleaser because i feel like oh that, for sure this yeah. is something i actually talk about in my real therapy i'm right. like i was Perfect. like fully ready i was like terrified when that bead of sweat you saw drip down my forehead was me calculating 
whether or not to say something. And I was like, you know what? I can just have a few bites of this meat. I was like, because like, we also weren't, we didn't have the relationship that we do now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This was like at the beginning. And like, it, it was like the first time you'd invited us over for dinner. So like, you know, the kind of social stakes are higher than obviously oh, yeah. not even friends. And I'm a very important person in LA. Like yeah. if you, you cross me, <laughs> your career is over. So I'm really glad that you felt yes, that. That's good. Exactly. Yeah. So... So yeah, so it was very much, you know, me just, me wanting to not kind of upset that like delicate social balance of the first dinner party. But yes, I'm also definitely a people pleaser. I also, I think, try to um, accommodate what I anticipate what other people are going to, how other people are gonna react to something that I do when I should just do what I want to do and not worry about how someone else is going to react and like trust that they're a grown adult who's going to have a grown adult response and that I and that my the extra loop of trying to anticipate what someone else's response might be is a huge waste of energy wow that's and good I'm gonna write that down called therapy <laughs> yeah no that's like that's like my therapy too but I'm curious as a people pleaser who's working on the people pleasing and somebody now who's living in a domestic situation with your partner and cooking a lot now for your partner and yourself, how does what you just said apply to cooking? Because Ryan, as we know, can be a tricky customer. So are you able to like make a meal and then have him not enjoy it and still be okay with it? Um, well, no. But I think that, but, but I rarely, I rarely, like, I really don't cook that much. Like I cook every single morning our cheesy eggs uh, extravaganza, which he loves. And then I, rare, I, I rarely cook dinner. I cooked our first dinner party uh, moment um, for uh, his, his stepmom and his father came over. And that was the first time I've cooked for anyone besides Ryan. And that was like, I'm not nervous when I'm cooking for Ryan, but like, but when like we had other people over and I was making this macaroni and cheese, it was the Martha Stewart's macaroni and cheese, mm -hmm. which again, I am a honey, I'm a believer in Martha Stewart. I'm like, this bitch knows what she's talking about. If she <laughs> this mac and cheese. Well, and the rules are true. We should Martha say you first had that about. here at my apartment. That is true. That is true. But I should say I've had it at my friend Diana's apartment. So she is the one who turned me on to it. But it has like, two pounds of cheese in it it's like insanely cheesy yeah and it's delicious and you coached me through my I think first two maybe three times making it but not to I, expose you here on lunch therapy and not yes. to pull back the curtain on the dark oh my God. caverns of your soul but at I that same that. dinner party you were going to make a caesar salad and I walked you through the whole thing and at the last moment you chickened out and bought your caesar dressing tell us uh, why you did that it, I mean it was because I panicked because I was making for other people what and were so, you afraid of Jonathan what were you afraid of I was of? afraid of letting other people down <laughs> <laughs> this is like goodwill um, hunting. That is so interesting. I had to come out to you because I was also afraid of them subsequently letting you down. If we're really gonna like get it because we had like had this whole conversation where I was you were like like guiding me through the ins and outs of making the dressing and you know and then I felt bad because I chickened out and I just bought like a ten dollar well, bottle of Caesar dressing. So be fair to you though, you did not have a food processor or a blender. So you were going to have true. to hand chop and smash the garlic and the anchovies, yes. which I suggested that you do. And that's a lot of work. So I think it's okay that you bought your dressing. And I did make my, my breadcrumbs, which you taught me how to make. 
Croutons. from scratch. I mean, croutons. croutons. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. Like they made some delicious, salty, crusty croutons, which aren't that hard to make, but I mean, still like they were delicious and cute and they add a little extra flair if you're doing, and I just bought a really expensive bottle of Caesar dressing and it tasted fine. It's not as good in fresh tasting as yours, um, but, but it wound up being okay. My and Caesar, by the was, way, yeah, it was just garlic, anchovies, an egg yolk. Um, oh, I do a lot of Parmesan first. I grind the Parmesan in the food processor, uh, like, like a wedge, and then I take it out, but I make the dressing in that same food processor. And then I have a little Worcestershire sauce, um, sometimes a little Tabasco, lemon juice, and then I whir all that with the olive oil and pour it in. And ladies and gentlemen, it is delicious. Well, again, stop praising your therapist. You're not going to butter me up. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go back to your, your brunch. So I'm curious in terms of the repetition of it all of, you know, we talked about control, but what about boredom? Like, what about like getting a little frozen and stuck in the same routine? Like, do you find in your life that you need to like push yourself to break through routines or do you just I mean, I probably should, I'm, I'm, I feel like this, I'm a Taurus. So like Tauruses love routine and structure. So I do feel like I thrive when thinking about practical things. That's, that's when I like having the routines, but it's weird. Like when I, when I have like the same thing for dinner, like, uh, like multiple nights in a row, I do get tired of it for, Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, we, neither of us get tired of the cheesy eggs and this is not like a thing where like ryan's like just being nice and saying like oh yeah i don't get tired of them while he's like secretly very tired of them ryan as you know does not hold back on a single thing that he is thinking or feeling um so i think that yeah i think there's just something about the magic of the cheesy eggs. well i'm not even really talking about the cheesy eggs though i'm talking Mm. about like in life like yeah falling into routines like do you find that you get what's the word like not frigid but like um stuck no totally yeah i mean i think i think that i get stuck in like routines of work and exercise and yes eating and i do think that Yes. And I think it's good to shake those up because they can get kind of stale. And sometimes if I'm like working too much and and not really getting a break and just doing like kind of the same thing over and over again, I'm just like, God, you got to take a day off. Like Mm -hmm. don't exercise, eat something different, like go outside, like go shopping. I don't know, do something Mm -hmm. different than your routine. And it does actually really help me reset. And I'm getting better at at learning to kind of disrupt those routines, which can lead to kind of, I think, stagnation of inspiration. Stagnation, that was the word, stagnation. Yes, but when it comes to my work, like sometimes it's just like, oh my God, just take a fucking day off and like Mm -hmm. read a book. You love reading books, like stop working so much. Well, the other word that occurred to me as you were just talking was discipline, like self-discipline. It feels like what you're talking about is almost like cracking the whip on yourself, like that you have to like do your breakfast. You got to clean up the kitchen. You got to do your writing. You got to go to the gym. And it's like this self-discipline feels like it informs your day. Although at night, it feels like that's when you can let loose and kick back and have a glass yeah. of wine. Well, sometimes, I mean, again, I kind of limit my cheat nights to three nights a week. And then it is like- the That's discipline too. Oh my God. So much I discipline. Know. <laughs> I know. I know. But then like sometimes, you know, there'll be like a week where it's like, oh my God, well, I'm having another dinner and you know what? It's actually just going to be fine. Yeah. And days where I just like don't work at all. And that's, that's what I'm trying to kind of, I think, again, get 
have have more kind of breaks to that routine because it can just kind of get um, stayed and stagnant, like I'm saying. Well, we're now at the moment of the podcast where I often will ask my guests where they grew up and like what kind of food they ate in their childhood. And it's funny because I always with you, like always forget where you're from. I think I know now you're from Massachusetts. Yes. I mean, I was born in Pennsylvania, but then I was raised in Massachusetts. And then I went to boarding school in Massachusetts while my parents moved to California. So I kind of had a, an all over the place, but I really consider Massachusetts as like the place where I kind of grew up the most. And what, what are your food memories growing up? Like what, what kind of food did your parents make? Yes, my dad was really mainly the cook. Um, and I think the favorite thing, and he still makes it to this day, I, the favorite thing that he would make um, is uh, pizza. So he would make mm -hmm. like dough from scratch and you know we would help him make pizza. And I think those were kind of like the most fond and yummy food memories. I've never heard you talk about that ever. I've never heard you say that your dad oh, made yeah. pizza. And he was still it, does. It's still very good. I mean, were they he's sheet kind pan of refined pizzas? it over. Um, no, they were always like circular pizzas with very like, like thick kind of ready crusts. Mm -hmm. um, but he's kind of got, I've verged a little more like almost Neapolitan style in recent years. He's adapted with the times. Um, and uh, yeah, so those, I mean, I, I loved that pizza. Thing I didn't love as a child, but I think was made somewhat frequently was cream of tuna. And that Ew. was like, I think the opposite end of- Cream style. of tuna? With that... like peas in it. I mean, I've heard of tuna casserole. I don't know if that's- It's kind tuna. of like a similar, it's kind of like a tuna casserole, but without like, I think the crust. I don't know why, but this that phrase cream of tuna creeps me out. Yeah. I shouldn't reveal that as a therapist. That's but... probably the reason why I like became a vegetarian because yeah. I was just done with cream of tuna. <laughs> well, tell us about to that. Do with the animals. Well, I became a vegetarian. I think it was because my sister and my mom were becoming vegetarians. And then I was like, oh, I want to too. And like, I also like don't want to kill the animals. And then mm -hmm. it just kind of like stuck for life. Also, because I think if you change your food routines at a young age like at, in third grade like it's I feel like much easier to make that transition because you're not like sitting there thinking about like the fried chicken you had last year and like desperately pining away for it do you so know you were in I mean? third grade you were really young when you became a vegetarian yeah so it was very young and I think my dad was the only one who like didn't voluntarily become a vegetarian he was like well fuck the whole family's veggie so gotta adapt wow. um but he would like have me um when uh, like we go out to dinner but what's interesting is that like actually now I'm the only I'm the sole standout like in my family who's still or holdout in my family who's still vegetarian because everyone else has started yeah. eating like chicken and fish and I think my dad eats like red meat even and Ryan wants you to start eating meat so that I'll make you guys like meet at dinner parties never Never? You're never going to eat meat? You're missing out on so much. I mean, much. never say never, but I just, yeah. I don't see myself turning back. Again, I think partially because it's just like so ingrained in, in my diet at this point, but it's yeah. just kind of like, like, like second nature to me. Well, you mentioned um, boarding school. So I have to ask, was it like Oliver Twist? Like, were you like eating <laughs> gruel or like wicked child? <laughs> um, no, it wasn't. It was, it was a boarding school for the arts. So it was actually fabulous and very gay mm -hmm. um and so i mean i don't think the the dining hall food was 
the greatest. Um, they had like a salad bar, which I don't think I visited that often. They had, I remember the big thing, the big day, like everyone was excited when they made this and looking back at it, I'm like, wow, zero nutritional value in this meal <laughs> were cheese bagels. And they were like basically lenders bagels, I think that were like heated up and like fluffy. So the texture was very pleasant. And then they literally just had like, like I think a couple of slices of American cheese in the middle. And then that was it. And so we like would a grilled just- grilled cheese bagel kind of? Kind of, but like, but honey, this was not fancy. It was like Lender's bagel and like a slice of American cheese, but like they were for some reason like so good. And even if I had one now, I would probably like it. <laughs> um, so that was the main culinary draw of the cafeteria at Walnut Hill, which probably gives you an idea of the sophistication of the food. Wow. Well, we should tell people because again, not everyone knows your story as well as I do, that there is a big chapter of your life, which we haven't gotten to yet that involves musical theater. That is true. Well, I mean, that was part of my experience going to boarding school for the arts. But Um, you like you went to then you went to college for um, musical theater, right? Yes, I went to a conservatory called Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music or CCM, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a very intense conservatory environment. Um, which is a very, it's a very competitive musical theater school. If you know musical theater, you know CCM. Um, and if you don't, you don't. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a very intense, very small classes, very competitive. Well, while you were there, did you ever have to eat anything on stage? I don't think I ever ate anything on stage. I mean, that was a period of my life where I was really like going to the gym a lot. Like there was okay. huge pressure as a whacter. Uh-huh. to go to the gym and be ripped um <laughs> and so I would eat like oh my god honey I would like have like protein shakes and like there was a creatine chapter in my life like she got really? all into the yes she got into the supplements and the the creatines and the powders and the potions and the wow. muscle builders and yeah so that was like a very that was an intense I mean talk about routines like I was I think I got too intensely into working out and I feel like I have a much better relationship with that now in my life Mm -hmm. um but also there's like an intense pressure when like you're like an actor and you're like also very young and you're being told that like you have to have a good body if you want to like make it in this business I don't know yeah that makes a lot of sense toxic conservatory teachings well, you, you did then become the beast in Beauty and the Beast on the, is it the national <laughs> <Yeah>. tour? <laughs> no, it was a regional production. So all my friends, so, so many of my friends graduated and basically immediately started working on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very kind of intense thing for me because I immediately started working in the aforementioned hellish gay restaurant where I was yes. sexually harassed on a regular basis. So they were living the dream and I was living an actual nightmare. Um, so... <laughs> So, but I did, but it was actually the nail in my theater coffin. I did book a regional production of Beauty and the Beast. Um, and I just hated doing it. Really? Also, like, I should have been Lumiere. Sorry. But, like, <laughs> this is the gayest piece you've ever And you look like life. Lumiere. You have, like, a long No, exactly. Face. Like, I'm yeah. long and, like, spindly and, like, lanky. Like, but I don't know. They cast me as the beast. I, it was like such a like low budge, like kind of janky regional production. I was just like miserable. I'm like, why am I like busting my ass at this horrific restaurant to then go away for like weeks at a time to some random regional theater with like no budget doing a musical that 
I don't even really like, like, you know what I mean? So it was like, that was just kind of, that was actually the moment where I was like done with, with being a musical theater actor. So thanks for bringing up that <laughs> really dark chapter, Adam. Well, we're, we're unpacking all the baggage here. We're, we're it's going true. Deep. You're yeah. really, you're really diving deep. You're, I'm I mean, diving. you're working with a full deck, so I gotta, I gotta uh, are, am really I though? <laughs> or are you, should I say? Um, well, one thing that's occurring to me, because I'm going to bring it back to food now, which is that I get the sense as you talk about like working and discipline and stuff that food for you is almost fuel during the day. Like it's just like the thing that gets you through, but it's not the focus of the day. Am I wrong in thinking that? Yes. No, that's actually a very good point. I mean, Thank for you. me, it's, it is it, because it's like, I don't, I don't want to be thinking about food. I don't want to be thinking it's just like to get yes to get me through the work day like it feels like kind of secondary which is why I think it also helps to have a routine because I'm not again thinking about it but yes I view it more as fuel but then like for example if I'm going to a dinner party or going out to dinner I also love food mm -hmm. like huge huge fan here of food <laughs> um <laughs> and so in those moments like where I'm really able to enjoy food that gives me like profound satisfaction i think is 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 truly like you know doing a, a delicious fancy fun party dinner. yeah well it feels like um it feels almost like feast or famine like it's like either you're going to be disciplined or you're going to like be feasting and like celebrating like it's like <laughs> one or yes. the other yeah yeah so and i think i mean and i have turned it into a routine but i also do think it helped me balance out because before you know, the pandemic, it was just kind of like feast every night. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it, that, that is, again, also as sustainable or, or healthy, um, you know, and perhaps I'm a little, I've overcorrected and been a little overly controlling with my food routines and schedule. But, but at the same time, I do think that it brings that routine, like figuring out that routine has allowed me to have balance because it's like oh okay right. I figured out this routine now I don't have to think about it well, I felt very lucky that I've, I've never had six-pack abs so like I've never had to like know what that feels like so that therefore like I don't have a thing that I could fantasize about going back to because it's always just been like that's never gonna happen but for you and your beast mode when you were like the beast, beast mode yeah, lol, literal uh, beast mode. yeah you're like you know <laughs> dancing around the palace with bell oh uh, you know you were ripped so I feel like that's got to be in your brain somewhere that like that is like a possibility for you if you wanted to but not that you're going to but that that that's like one extreme and that there's another extreme. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that's an extreme. I was also not happy. Like I was, right. I, I think I was really unhappy during that time for many reasons. And the one area of my life where I could find control was my body, quite mm -hmm. frankly. And so I became hyper-focused on that. And yes, there was a brief period of time where I did have a six pack, but I was also the most miserable I've ever been. Um, right. Was it- so, um purely professional that period was there also like an element of wanting to be attractive in the gay community yeah I think that that was also a part of it for sure I think I think it was yes a combination of both those things and now like I have exercise but I'm not like again I don't it's my body is not like getting my body ripped is not really a priority for me like I like going on my jogs I like you know being like kind of thin and like vaguely toned but like I I also don't I, in terms of like how I'm budgeting my time, like there are other things that are more valuable to me. Like I'm not gonna be out here like working out for like 
two and a half hours. You know what right. I mean? Like I, I go on my half hour jogs, I do my stretches before and after, and that feels like a good chunk of time. I feel healthy and happy. And like, I also don't get obsessive over body image or, or how I, yeah, I, I think you're very healthy. I mean, as your friend and not your therapist, I can say, I think it, from what I've observed, it seems like you have a healthy relationship with food and exercise, although you do use pre-ground nutmeg in your, um, uh, <laughs> which is a little alarming. Drag me, drag <laughs> um, me. But I wanted to ask you, because I know you and Ryan as a couple, and I also happen to know, and people who follow Ryan will know this, that he's been getting into shape too and like losing weight. Is that something that you feel when you're in a couple that you kind of have to do it together? Or do you think it's possible to be on your own separate journeys? Well, I think it helps. I mean, it helps to not have someone who's like, like it helps to be on the same page as someone in terms of like kind of diet. Cause he also does this little, like, again, when we were eating out, we were both like eating out every night and like mm-hmm. drinking so much. And it was like always kind of like you had this partner in crime who's always there to like, Oh, well, we really shouldn't tonight, but what if we did? Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like, sure. like and there's literally yeah. always, yeah, it's always that. So I think like when we kind of committed to like a different, a little bit of a different lifestyle after things got like very intense during the pandemic in terms of like so much rich food and like so much alcohol. I mean, and Ryan got sober. Right. I didn't. I mean, I get I still drink like three nights a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's now my new routine and again it helps to have someone who's there like again not that he cares if like I happen to drink like one more night a week or two more nights or the whole week like it doesn't he doesn't it's not like we're like pressuring each other but Mm -hmm. it also is helpful to not have someone in the house who's always like well what if we get a bottle of wine right oh I mean that's that's my issue is like Craig is so annoying because he's pretty skinny and he can eat whatever he wants. And, but he, like, if I'm trying to be good, like, I'll be like this week, I'm going to like go to the gym five days this week. And like, I'm going to just drink smoothies for lunch and like make healthy dinners. And then it'll be like Tuesday night. And he's like, make me cookies. And I'm like, no, I'm not making cookies. Like if I make cookies, I'm going to eat them. And I don't want to, he's like, make me cookies. And it's like this whole pathetic thing. And I wind up making cookies and then I eat them. And then like the next day I'm like, well, I ate cookies last night. I'm not going to the gym. I, I feel like I just feel like I already ruined it. So it's like all a spiral. I think it's hard to like stick to your guns as an individual in a relationship with food. Oh, I think it's also hard. Yes, I agree. Like it, it, especially if you're on different pages, but also if like, like you, you have like cooking superpowers. Oh, so stop like, it. No. There are, but they're like you, there's always the temptation to like use your own superpowers for the creation of a Tuesday night cookie. I'm mm-hmm. like, honey, I'm the same thing. Like if cookies are in the house, I'm eating them. <laughs> well, yeah, you guys are funny because you guys are very fast eaters too. That was something I was going to ask you about. Have, yes. have you always been a fast eater? I have all, it's like a National Geographic special up there. <laughs> I feel very sorry for people who have to eat across from me. But yes, I mean, I, I've i always been, I don't, I don't know what that is. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I think it's connected to your ambition. The function, I think the function food thing, it's like get must eat fuel yes. so can work on, but also like in a social situation, it's like must eat fuel so can focus on other people. Um, but yes, I mean, I do think that probably ties into it, but it is interesting. Like meeting Ryan, I was like, wow, I've met my match in terms <laughs> of, you know, someone who can also like plow through a plate of food. Well, you guys are funny to cook for because you guys are so appreciative, which I love. Um, but it's also funny because I'll spend like four hours like making like some kind of entree like oh 
finally, we're going to all sit down and eat it. And then like I'll blink and it's all gone. I'm like, wait, what just happened? Yeah, we just, I dream of Jeannie Blank. Yeah. But I think um, it's, yeah, but I think it's like, you're almost like a Olympic athlete in terms of like how you go through your day. And so like the food, yeah, it's the fuel and it's just, there's an yes. excitement to it and like a, like a enthusiasm for it, but also like a efficiency thing maybe too. Yes. Yes. I think, I think that that's, I think that's very much true. And yeah, it's like, you know, you're just like also, yeah, energized from the day. Like if you've been fully working to just like, oh, let loose and have a delicious meal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting. You have patience to make like delicious, like four hour, like slow cooked meals, but you can't spare 20 minutes to slow cook your eggs in the morning. I'm going to, wow, that, that, that is that is below the belt and unfair. <laughs> I prefer, I prefer eggs, frankly. I liked your eggs. They're, they're nice. They're okay. Uh, but I like larger curds in my eggs. So I'd use like a little bit of a higher heat and I just use a rubber spatula. By the way, I didn't want to say this at the time, but you're using a metal fork and a nonstick skillet. Is, well, I actually stopped doing that. Yeah. Because, because my sister was like, you should not do that. Carcinogens. And so, you know, exactly. I didn't so want to say I use a wooden skillet. Well, thanks for not saving my life before, Adam. <laughs> just letting me eat poison. Well, maybe I like, wanted you and your, your egg, egg reputation to go down the tubes. It's like death, <laughs> death becomes her. Death by eggs. Yeah, I was the oh golden blonde to your Meryl Streep. <laughs> um, that's so funny that your sister said that. I really was going to say it, but I thought you would be sensitive if, if I said that. No, I mean, I was glad. And then she bought me, actually, for my birthday, a new nonstick pan. Great. Um, and... Uh, a wooden spatula, like a really cute oh, wooden spatula. Like a wooden spoon or a spatula? Wooden spatula. What's a wooden spatula? I've never heard of that in my life. Um, it's a spatula made from wood. Oh. <laughs> it has like it has like a like a finish on it. So it's yeah. not, so you know what I mean? But but it is, I'm pretty sure wooden. Like um, a wooden spoon or like a wooden, like it just it looks like a spatula except it's wooden. So I it's know. not really like a flappy spatula. It's not right. like that. It's like yeah um hard I don't know how to explain that's not a real thing I think you're making this up um, <laughs> what was your lunch routine before the scrambled eggs moment like what were you eating for lunch before that or what was your breakfast lunch during the day routine in the past before this current I was experience? I went through like a big kashi go lean breakfast phase how do you do that those things are like colon blow cereal. If you've ever seen the SNL sketch, oh Phil Hartman is like sitting on a box of colon blow. And then it, oh my God. those Whoa. things are insane. But like talk about fuel. Like I would eat that in the morning. And then like my routine was to eat a protein bar and a banana at lunch. Again, like very like kind of functional fuel driven, like must get through day. Not think about this till dinner. When I, at that period in time, I was every dinner was just like an experience and like, again wild and too much um but but that was that used to be my kind of routine but I I do like making the eggs now because I do also I do enjoy them they don't feel like fuel like kind of a bowl of kashigolin does just like kind of eating your fuel it's like it's like this is this is actually like an enjoyable culinary experience so you have the scrambled eggs you have the Martha's mac and cheese you don't yet have a Caesar salad, which is okay. Um, but do the breadcrumbs or the croutons. Croutons. But that's part of the mac and cheese. I'm not going to count that as a separate thing. Um, <laughs> but what what else? Like, is that it right now in terms of what you can cook? Are you going to cook more things? I think so. Well, I've also cooked Ina Garten's vegetarian lasagna. How was that? 
It was delicious. Great. I, if I am like fall, I think that what I've learned is like, if I'm good at following directions, again, this ties back into my people pleasing. And I'm also like all about control. So like and discipline directions, yes. And discipline, I will follow them to a T. Mm-hmm. Sometimes as you know, like I will need to like reach out, phone a friend and text you and be like, yeah. what does the part of this recipe mean? So I don't fuck it up. Remember when you FaceTime me while while making the bechamel the first time? Oh my God, yes, I had a bechamel <laughs> panic attack. I thought it was supposed to be so much thicker than it really needed to be. But also you were and... going so slow with like, oh you're like adding the milk, like drip <laughs> by drip, which was cute, but it's like, oh my God, I would go crazy if I was doing that. No, but that was very helpful. But but those in those moments, like it's helpful to phone a friend. Yeah, so I'm glad I to be. Know. I'm proud to be that friend. And also, like the level of difficulty is not. I mean, there's a lot that go, that went into both of like both the mac and cheese and the the lasagna. But it, I don't think the level of difficulty was that high. Have so you I made think, pasta yet? Like just dried pasta and tomato sauce. Oh yeah! Oh yes! Oh my God! I made your delicious tomato sauce. The oh, very simple one. Oh, Marcella um, Hazan's. Yes, Marcella yeah, that, Hazan's. That's a famous recipe because it's just butter, onion, and can of tomatoes, and it comes out amazing. It is. Oh my God! And the way you cook it with the tomato—I mean, with the onion—yeah, it's just the flavors that build in there. Hmm. Oh my God! I forgot. I'd, I'd been doing that in the beginning of the pandemic. I also did the um, that lemon pasta. Oh, the with the ricotta. The yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you live, I shouldn't disclose your location. Um, I'm not going to give out your actual address, but you happen to live near one of my favorite stores in LA for buying ingredients, which has mm. the best ricotta, the best bread, the best um, stuff. It's called, can I just say what it's called? Yeah, gonna, of course. It's called Cookbook. Yes, I love Cookbook. It's wildly expensive and yeah. also impractical. Like you can't, you have to go there first so you can figure out what you can get there so you don't buy it elsewhere because you can't really do like a, I mean, maybe you could, I feel like, but you can't really do like a full shopping trip yeah. at Cookbook because it's just so like tiny and precious and expensive <laughs> and gorgeous. Don't but make like, fun of Cookbook. I love I'm it, not making man. fun of it. I'm, oh I God. love all those things about it, but it's not like, yeah, you know, it's not you know like what they sell there. Ground nutmeg because you're a bitch who doesn't grind. I was just nut. about to make the same joke, but I was going to say that if you go to Cookbook, you can get whole nutmeg. They have it there. <laughs> they do. They have oh it. Oh my God, twist. Go I there said. right now. That is what I'm going to sit here and wait. Um, okay, Jonathan, we're nearing the end of this. This flew by, but we're not quite done because every podcast begins with what did you have for lunch, but it ends with what are you going to have for dinner tonight? Hmm. Well, I wish I could say it was exciting, but last night was cheat night. So tonight I'm having a taco salad from Thistle, so which is talk- my vegan meal delivery service. So let's talk about Thistle. I would yes. like to know Again, like if they want to give me money because I basically. <laughs> yeah. Me. Well, I want to hear that. Like, so like when you get a Thistle, it's like a little container, like an aluminum container with a plastic top. Uh, plastic containers, um, which I always recycle. Um, but they, yeah, it comes in like plastic container and the, the, the meal's already been fully prepared. So, um, but it will often come with like a sauce and you basically just heat it up in a skillet and then like put on, or or, I don't know, what are those? uh, Yeah. A skillet. Like a taco salad in a skillet? No, no, no. The taco salad, I'm just going to eat cold. 
Oh, I see. But it is a salad. Is it like if you had to guess the? But if it's like a warm, if it's like a, if it's like, if it's like a pesto pasta with like artichoke, uh-huh. then you heat it up. Well, it's funny because there is that period in time where they had this thing called Soylent. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. And it was like, you can just drink Soylent and you don't need to eat. And I thought that was the most depressing thing I've ever heard. Like, what kind of person would want to just drink Soylent for a meal? But like knowing that like a lot of what you're talking about when you're not cheating is just sort of like fuel. Like, are you somebody that would enjoy Soylent? I don't think I could go that far. This will give me like the illusion of like a good meal. Like some of them are actually pretty tasty. Some of them are a little bland, but you know, I get hot sauce, delicious hot sauce from cookbook actually, mm-hmm. and just put that on and it can, honey, can solve any problem uh, that I might encounter in my thistle journey. So this will, I, I, Soylent does seem uniquely depressing. Yeah. Um, I think because it also just has like a shadow of like big tech over it and just mm-hmm. everything that's like. And the people who it. drink it are like robots. Like, in fact, the person yeah, exactly. I know who drank it was like a like human um, android, like guy who like really worked out a lot and just drank Soylent. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go that far and just become a human robot. So and again, hung- I have my yeah. cheat nights. Like the night before I got, Sicilian pizza from Cosabona, which I am oh just my like. God. Wow, you really go to extremes because that Sicilian pizza, I've got to say, is a decadent. Yes, I'm trying to speak your language. Uh, had some wine, had had that Sicilian pizza, and just enjoyed my cheat night honey. So, do you weigh yourself like as the week goes along? Like, are you like, oh, I just ate a pizza, now I weigh this much, and then you like the three days go by and you exercise, and you're like, I weigh. That I'll much. occasionally weigh myself. I, I'll occasionally weigh myself, but. Also, like, it doesn't, my weight doesn't really fluctuate that much based on, like, a cheat night or something like that, just because it's, like, again, part, like, I'm, I'm in this kind of routine of eating that I think mm-hmm. that it just kind of, like, stays pretty flat. So actually, I'm not, like, I'm not that, like, dissimilar. I'm actually not that dissimilar from you when I'm trying to be good. Like, right now, I'm doing a smoothie diet um, at mm. lunch. So I had a smoothie at the gym yesterday, which was blueberry. But I got to say today, Ooh, I got... Good. I got one from Honey High, which is in your neighborhood. Oh, uh, yes. And it had kale, spinach, chlorophyll, which I have no idea what that even means, um, mango, and then like a homemade almond milk. And I drank it and I felt so healthy and virtuous. But I got to say, like, it made me feel terrible. Like an hour later, I was like, like, like bending over. Oh, like, no. Like, but just because it was so healthy that it was like too healthy. It was like, all that like kale moving through me. It was like, oh, what did I do to myself? I should have just had like a hamburger. I'd be, I would feel better. Oh my God. Really? Well, maybe you were actually, were, maybe you're like responding to something in the smoothie. I think I like, am. Yeah. Allergic to. But sometimes I feel that way about health, quote unquote, like healthy food, like, like a kale salad will make me feel worse than a pizza. I can tell you that. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, our guts are mysterious things. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, you know, it's like you got to pay attention to what you put in there and how your sweet, sweet gut is responding. (laughs) So, Jonathan, we have a couple minutes left. We're not done yet. But do you feel like we covered, I mean, do you think we've covered the gamut of your psychology as it relates to food? I feel like we really have. I feel like you're, you, you are clearly someone who obviously has been through plenty of therapy himself. What? How dare you? I don't need, I don't need that. Oh my God. That was, that's a good thing, honey. I am a, I'm a therapy stan and uh, I feel like you are 
a very good amateur lunch therapist. Speaking of therapy, I spend a lot of time in my therapy talking about my mother. And mm. it just so happens that a week ago, Jonathan here got to go to a dinner with my mother. It was like meeting a celebrity. Yeah. I so had I'm... heard so much about her. I'd only met her in passing once at your birthday party, uh-huh. but did not get the full Heidi Roberts dog and pony show. And so I felt very fortunate to be in her very sassy presence for a delicious dinner at Gigi's. Sassy is a good word for her. Do you feel like you, <laughs> you, feel like you got a window into my psychology by meeting my mother? I did. I feel like that's where you get your razzle dazzle and show business from. Is what from do you mean? Mother. Well, she's just very like, she's very outgoing and entertaining and she loves making jokes and like she's like she's very like flamboyant and like was wearing leopard print and like (laughs) I just I felt like that is where you yeah got your razzle dazzle and your gayness from tv (laughs) that's so funny that's that was like a classic cliche that like gay men become gay because they have like overbearing like large personality mothers and it's actually (laughs) <laughs> oh, did you too? Your mom. But I love person. my mother. Yes, not overbearing, but like she's just she's like a very like intense personality, um, so which funny. I love. I mean, I love my mom. So I don't know. Here's and I feel like, overbearing mothers. Yeah. Well, gay men also gravitate to like those kinds of personalities. It was funny because when I was in grad school for writing. My, I did my master's thesis with Marsha Norman, the playwright. And yes. at some point, like we all went around and like said what TV shows we watched. And I was like, well, I watch, like, she's like, what do, you, what do you just like watch during the day? I was like, I watched Judge Judy, The Barefoot Contessa, The View, Roseanne. And she's like, okay, so you love strong, overbearing women. <laughs> like, like they're all, they were all like shows with strong women in it. But again, yes. this, yeah, this isn't about me. So let's finish on the note that we, we began on. Yes, daddy. You're yes, going to daddy. Be- so this is going to air on a Thursday next week. Um, so when you're listening to this, it's, today is Thursday. But do you have any events? I know you're doing an event with Book Soup, but is that the day before? I am doing an event with Book Soup that very night. So oh, tonight, great. actually, if you're listening to this yes. today, it's tonight. It's the 20th. Um, yes, the 20th. I'm doing an event with Book Soup. You can go to my Instagram, JP Rampage, and <laughs> sign up. Um, to go there's also a link there to purchase my book which will be released by the time you're listening to this um so yeah i'd love it if you bought a copy and it'll be good i promise it is good i can attest to that um do you have any other things you any other like events after that or like things that people should keep an eye out for everything's happening before that but i mean i think i as the summer goes on i might do a few different things i might actually do a moment in Provincetown when we're oh. there for vacation. I've been talking to my publicist about doing a gay destination event, which could potentially be cute. So stay tuned. That would be amazing. And we should also plug the fact that Ryan has season two of his show coming out um, next week too, or this week, if you're listening to this on Thursday, which you will be. Yes, it's actually coming out today, the May, May 20th. Oh yeah. But we, have a very, we have a lot of things going on in our household. Oh my God, well, mazel tov, week. as they say. In my community. <laughs> well, Jonathan, thank you so much for doing Lunch Therapy. Thank you for having me. All right, see you soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you get a chance, please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a 
good review if you don't mind. really helps us. And we'll see you back here next week on Monday. Have a good week and don't forget to eat lunch. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning money and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast. Hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers, and researchers. And while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-Cast. 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 recommends. <laughs>